If you've got your Bibles, uh, if you'd open to uh, Psalm 42, uh, I, I have expressed thanks to the church for the grace to skip the assigned passage in the sermon before. Um, sometimes you just don't quite know what a passage means. If you uh, feel like calling me, you want to you want to offer your interpretation of the tail end of Acts 19, I, I'd love it. Um, but uh, about Thursday afternoon, I was like, I am not preaching this passage because I am still not sure what to say other than what the clear meaning of the passage seems to be, and that's sometimes the government gets it right. Um, you guys were supposed to laugh at that point. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'm like, surely, Lord, there must be more meaning. And lo and behold, I'm sitting uh, doing some uh, reading just before uh, we left for, for church this morning. And, uh, and, and in, in the article I was reading about Christ the King, it was like, this is good and useful and should be included in that sermon. And it would not have made it had I, had I not stopped. So uh, we'll hear from Acts 19 next week. But I felt like uh, I looked back through some uh, through some sermon archives, and I realized that on a snowy day in 2013, I preached a message that I thought that everybody should have heard. Now, maybe I am uh, violating the rules of providence. I preached the message on a snowy day. Very few people were here. You know, maybe God wanted it that way. Not sure. Um, if, if you go to 121, the college ministry, and, uh, and you've heard this message last Sunday night, uh, mixed it up a little bit, so there'll be some different stuff in there, so don't, don't get nervous. Like, it's all going to be the same. Um, and maybe you didn't put it into practice and you need to hear it again. I don't know. Uh, we, we shall see. Uh, but we're going to read uh, Psalm 42 and 43, and then we'll pray and, uh, and, and turn to the explanation of God's word. The scripture says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. 
For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do not leave us as you find us, but you challenge us and prod us and push us and move us forward. Lord, there are many times where we would like to stop and sit down and stay where we are because circumstances have not turned out like we planned. Passions, desires, our thoughts dominate us. Our assessment of the truth of your word is that we know better at times. We look at the situation before us and we say, you're not giving us enough power, God. You're not helping me through this situation. You're not holding up your end of the bargain. And so we sit down and quit. But we thank you that you don't leave us. Whether it's through the appealing word from your word, uh, the encouragement of a friend, or the discipline of difficult circumstances, you speak to us and prod us forward, Lord. And we thank you that you demonstrate this ministry to each and every one of your children, Lord, that, that we might not be like we are, but that you would continue to shape us and refine us all of our days. We thank you for the grace of your word. We thank you that though we read your word and we see much in it that we cannot keep, we thank you that you gave Jesus to be our sacrifice, to pay for the forgiveness of our sins. But he also lived this wonderful, perfect life in which his obedience is applied to every lack and every failing and every not living up fully to the command as you have said it, Father. He is so good. We thank you that though your word convicts and often condemns us in our own conscience, that we can look to Christ with satisfaction and say, I am saved, and he is good, and he is joy to my soul, and we will know, we can know that we're righteous. So, Father, I pray as we talk about Uh, The voices in our minds, the voices in our heart talk about how we fight back against that. I just pray that, that you would free us from all condemnation, that you would point us to our daily, regular need for Christ, whether we are in Christ, whether we trust in him as all of our salvation right at this moment, or whether today is the beginning of a journey of walking with you. We can depend on your goodness. We can depend on what you've provided to us. Lord, I pray that you protect us from the evil one who desires to steal your truth. Protect us from thinking like the world, which says that we need Christ plus something else. Protect us from our flesh, 
which would say, when is lunch? And turn us away from your truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A man entered a restaurant, sat down, and asked for a glass of water and began to look at the menu. Uh, The waitress came and brought his glass of water and a bowl of chips and some salsa. And uh, as he was considering the menu, he heard a voice say, nice shirt. And he looked around and and he saw no one. So he went back to the menu and took another sip of his glass of water and heard a voice say, that is a cool tie. And he looked around again and, and not, not knowing what was going on, he called the waitress over and he said, um, I, think I'm, I think I'm having a really bad day. I, uh, I keep hearing voices saying nice things to me, but there's no one in here but you and me and it's, it's not your voice. And the waitress says, oh, it's the chips. He says, what? She says, oh yeah, it's the chips. They're complimentary. <laughs> I prepared for that one. Yes. <laughs> whether, whether we acknowledge it or not, uh, whether it's a symptom of, of uh, yes, you guys are like a funny joke. Hooray. <laughs> we have arrived at the promised land. Whether we whether, whether it's a symptom of mental struggle or not, we all hear voices. We all do, whether we acknowledge it or not. Uh, the voices in our heads say things like, God doesn't love you. Uh, you, are, you, are, you are not forgiven. You're not capable of doing anything right. You're messing everything up by your involvement in other people's lives. You don't trust Jesus enough. You are condemned by the failures of your parents. Jesus loves the world, but he doesn't love you, and he didn't die for you. You are the sum of your failures. We hear different things. We hear these voices speaking to us. We hear, uh, we don't have enough energy for this today. We don't have enough time for this. This is a, uh, a, a struggle, an interruption. I, I need to handle this. We hear these uh, competing voices in our head, and they drag us away from trusting in the promises of God. The good news is that modern psychology did not discover these in the 1800s and then uh, teach us about uh, analysis and uh, Freudian concepts and uh, positive affirmation and all these things, these, these, uh, this idea that we talk to ourselves has been around at least since the time of the psalmist. And the Bible teaches us how to deal with this voice that keeps us from moving forward in the Christian life. As we look through Psalm 42, we see first that the psalmist is crying out about the internal drought that he's struggling with. And and he talks about his own withering internal self-talk. He's looking at his life and the circumstances of his life, and he's assessing and realizing that life is indeed hard. My wife and I say that life is very daily, every day. The garbage needs to be taken out. The bills need to be paid. The diapers need to be changed. Homework needs to get done. There's a whole host of things that just come at us every day, and it can wither us. It can wear us down. The psalmist says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs 
for you. This is not that peaceful, serene image. It's me going against coffee cups again. I did this this morning. We see this image of a deer standing in, in this peaceful scene painted uh, by that Kincaid guy, right? There's the deer, and he's by that giant expanse of water, and it's like, as the deer pants for the water, so I pant for you, and then you're like, I drink my coffee. Ah. No, this is, the deer is panting for the water. The hunter is after him. He is cut off and disconnected from his water supply. And if he does not get to it, he will die. As the deer pants after water, knowing he needs it, so my soul longs for you, God. But the the psalmist is unable to appear before God, probably in the temple, but he feels because he's unable to worship in the way that he desires because his circumstances aren't the way that he wants them, he's cut off. And this makes him sad. Look what verse 3 says. My tears have been my food. He's crying like a cartoon, right? His tears are rolling out of his eyeballs and going into his mouth. He's crying that much. He's, He's upset about what's going on. Those around him torment him and mock him and say, where is your God? If if God were God, if he were big enough, he would deliver him from these circumstances. He's tormented by thinking of, of the joy that he had in his salvation and in his God in the past, and he's looking at his present bad circumstances, and he's saying these things do not add up. In verse 4, he remembers these things as he pours out his soul. We talk about pouring out our soul as uh, making a connection with somebody. I'm pouring out my heart to you, right? I, I, I think in, in a biblical sense here, pouring out your soul is a dangerous thing, right? You know, if somebody was like, oh, I got your soul in a bottle, I'd be like, give that back to me. I'm just going to pour it out right here. You know, it's like, no, 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 don't do that, right? He's, he's, he's dying under the weight of his circumstances, and he's thinking about how, how he would go to the house of God and, and worship with glad shouts and songs of praise and how wonderful it was. If you're not in a time of pain now in your life, you will be at some point. It happens to everyone. Either now or in the future, you, you, you may lose hope. And looking at the circumstances in front of you, you cannot see a future, and you'll long for the past for a happier time. You'll long for the joy of your salvation. You'll long for the joy and satisfaction from God in your present circumstances. And you'll feel stuck like there's no hope. The famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book Spiritual Depression writes this. He says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Notice what the psalmist does in the next verse. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones is going to point out. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. 
The main art in the manner of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why so downcast, O my soul? What business do you have to be upset? You must turn on yourself, argue with yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering to yourself in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. I love this next line. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that a lot of our problems come from the fact that our daily narrative, what we hear is our soul, our flesh, casting up all kinds of doubts and depressions and, and complaints and struggles. And what we don't do, what we need to do, if we're not doing it in, in, in the fullness of our conscience, is begin to tamp down or to crush the self that speaks to ourself. We have a responsibility in the Christian life to take responsibility for ourselves. Does God save us? Yes. From the first to the last? Yes. Has he given responsibility for our souls in some sense into our hands? Yes. And we're called to fight for faith and hope and joy. Let's look at verse 5 of chapter 42. I look at Psalm 42 and 43 as a song with three verses and three repetitions of the chorus, right? Where does this whole three verses and songs and then a bridge come from? Maybe from right here. Maybe between Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, there was like a long uh, harp solo, you know, and then you, this is verse three and the conclusion. What we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to go through the first verse. We just did that. We're going to talk about the chorus. And then we're going to look at the next two verses and then end on the chorus and then we'll be done. And I'll say a couple things after I say. In conclusion, I'll, I'll talk for a little bit more like pastors always do. And then we'll pray. That's, that's, our, that's our outline. So the chorus. Look at what he says. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's got this narrative going on in his mind and then he responds to it. He catches himself talking to himself, and then he addresses himself, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said. How do we fight for faith and hope and joy in life each and every day? We fight the enemy of the world, the, the way of thinking that hates God and is constantly trying to uh, wean itself off of God and to live in, 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 in de independence from him. And we fight against the devil who desires to, to, to draw us away from God and desires us to despair. But what he and the world do is they draw out the despair of our soul and our soul, our flesh, is what opens the door to sin. When we sin in James chapter 1, James says it's not God who causes us to sin. And I would add, it's not the devil or the world that cause us to sin. The, the world may possess the things that we long for. The devil may blow on that little coal of desire in our hearts, but it's our own desires that lead us into temptation. And we need to identify them and fight against them if we're going to pull ourselves back from sin. 
So how do we fight for faith? The first step is to probe. Look at what it says in verse 5. He says to the soul, why are you cast down, O my soul? He addresses himself, self, why so depressed? Why the long face? Why the whining and complaining? Why are you in turmoil within me? What's going on there, self? Why am I so sad? What what is going on in here? Figure out what you're worrying about, what you're dwelling on, why you're stressed out. I find myself so often thinking, oh, right, I have to pay the bills. And that's like, eh, anxious. Or I've got something that I need to deal with that's on my mind and heart. But it's on my mind and heart like back here. Do you know what I mean? And I, I need to like turn around and do an inspection of all the junk that's kind of cluttering what I have to do today. And I need to write down, right, mail this, print that, call this person. And then once all that stuff's down and I can trust that I'm not going to forget it, I then suddenly realize, right, I need to do this thing that I don't want to do. I need to do that. And that's the source of all the struggle. And so turning attention to what's really going on. I'm worried about how I'm going to pay this bill. Or I'm stressed at the fact that, that something's come between myself and this person. Or, or there's this difficulty in my family or this trouble or that trial over here. What is really going on? And when that matter is, is cleared and unearthed like a treasure chest that's been buried underground, and you, you find the source of the problem, the second step after probing is to command, to direct the soul. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Why in turmoil within me? Hope in God. A command directly to the soul. We live in a day and age where people say things like, if it feels right, do it, right? We live in a, in a sensation-oriented society where, where we say things like, I can't control my heart. But the truth is, the Bible commands the emotions and the feelings all over the scriptures. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. We say things like, oh, I can't control who I love. Sure we can. The Bible commands our emotions everywhere. We just live in a culture that says we can't control them, and so we believe that. The psalmist finds what's at, at, at the root, what's going on with his out-of-control emotions, and he says, soul, cut it out. Hope in God. And he points his soul toward hoping in God. Emotions are not the engine which drives our life. Our mind and our beliefs and our worldview drive our life, and our emotions are like a caboose that comes along at the end of the train. And they're driven by our will and our thoughts and what we think it's okay to be offended by and upset by. We can control our emotions. We just need practice in doing it. So we probe, and then we command. Next, we actually hope. We, we take this step forward, and we begin to look forward into the future and look for legitimate reasons why we should hope and look for reasons to hold out hope and to think that there will be a positive and a good future. We find truth to hope on in God's word. Notice what he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He knows that at some point, he believes that at some point his circumstances will come around and he will be filled with the desire to praise God and to love him again. It will happen. That's what he's saying. Hope in God. 
And then he gives himself a reason. You know, one of the reasons I believe as Christians we fail to hope, we give in to temptation, to despair, or, or to uh, let something blow up in our lives, or we say it doesn't matter, and we just go ahead and sin, or we doubt, or whatever it is that we're struggling with, is because we don't know God's Word. Because the last thing you do, or the last thing we often feel like doing, I should say, when we're in the middle of trial and struggle and temptation, when we're like, this isn't good, where's God? Unless we've trained the mind to go to God's Word, we live with what's already in our brain. And if we don't know God's Word, if all we have is a, a, a pile full of vague generalities about the goodness of God and God's love and care for us, unless we have specific knowledge of God's Word that rises up from within us at the moment of temptation, then we fail. Specific knowledge of God's Word is a blessing. It will bless you. And absorbing God's Word takes three things. It takes a place. Where do I do this? Preferably like sitting up at a chair, maybe at a table, right? Uh, with a plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read God's Word and you don't have to do it in a year. That's fine. You can one, one chapter, one paragraph, right? A, a, a specific devotion to a passage of the Word of God. Dozens of plans all over the internet. If you've got version on your phone, you can go in there. Tons of Bible reading plans. Just go at it. But it also takes time. And this is something Americans don't like. We want our popcorn ready in three minutes, right? You know, we, we don't, it's, we're not like, oh, um, you know, uh, you know I, I want to I learn how to play the violin, right? We go to the library and we look up easy to play violin, right? And we want to we have some basic mastery in six hours. Some statisticians say that it takes about 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert in anything. 10,000 hours, which adds up to what? About 10 years of your life, if you include sleeping and brushing your teeth and eating and stuff like that. 10 years! That's a lot. In order to hope, we have to have something to build that hope on. And so building our foundation, as Jesus says in his parable, on the rock of God's word will be an enormous blessing to us. Probe, command, hope, and then focus. Focus not just on general self-centered promises of what God will give us, but promises of what he has done to save us and the treasure that he is to us. Look at what he says. He probes, why cast out? Why are you cast down on my soul? He commands himself hope in God. He gives himself a, 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 a generality about hope. I shall again praise him. And then he moves specifically to who God is, my salvation and my God. Focusing on my salvation. Where does my life come from? Christ, my righteousness before God. First Corinthians, or yeah, First Corinthians, great promise to, to memorize here. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. 
God himself is my sanctification. And because of God, I am in Christ. And I'm in Christ and I have the life of God within me. Will God then throw me away and abandon me? No, I have the, 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 the person of his beloved son in me. I have his righteousness and he's sanctifying me and he's redeemed me and, and, and he is the wisdom of God to me. And so what do we do at that point? We boast in the Lord, not in ourselves. The reason that I call the memory verses that I give out each and every week for us to, to memorize as a church fighter verses is that the devil, the flesh, and the world are all specifically conspiring to draw us away from the promises of God. And it takes fighting back in order to continue to hope. We focus on our salvation and on our God. Is God our treasure the goal of our life, Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's not there's nothing to fear and we just open the closet and see that nothing's in there. There's plenty of stuff to fear in the world, isn't there? I mean, grab a newspaper and look at it. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on right now. But the Lord is our light and our salvation. Who shall we fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is so big. I'm, I'm just astounded that I don't hear more pastors and preachers talking about this. Maybe it's because I'm here preaching that I don't hear more. But, but it's just this should be all over everything that we do. Fighting back against doubt and fear with God's word. Now, verse 2, he moves on, crying out while he's in the midst of doubt. He's going through now, in verse 2, the worst trial ever. God's forgotten me. God's abandoned me. He's not coming through. Notice what he does in verse 6. He says that his soul is cast down within him, and so he remembers God. He's thinking about God. He's, he's trying to focus on him. He's, he's out in this place, the land of Jordan and of Hermon, but as he struggles to think of God, what happens is that deep calls to deep at the roar of his waterfalls. All his breakers and waves have gone over him. He's like, God, you're God, and I'm, I'm trying to hope in you, but I understand that you're sovereign over all circumstances, and right now my world looks awful. Deep calls to deep is not some crafty, creative phrase to throw into worship songs. The idea is that, that he's in the middle of deep water. Imagine somebody like doing a cartwheel underwater, like, you know, just completely out of control. Like, I'm going to die. All your breakers and waves have gone over me, is what he says. This person is in extreme distress. He cries out in this prayer to God, his rock. God, I affirm in truth because I, I know some promises that you're my rock in verse 9. But yet I feel that you have forgotten me. Why have you forgotten me? I'm going around each and every day mourning because of the oppression of my enemies. My adversaries taunt me. It's like my bones are on fire. And they mock me and they say, where is your God? Where is deliverance? Why have you abandoned me? What does he do? He probes. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Then he commands himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation 
and my God. He, he, he hopes in God, and then he focuses his attention on the fact that he has salvation and that God is his God. Let's look at verse 3. Crying out now while in despair. Another pit, another trial. After all that, he's gone through so much. Hasn't he grown? Why again? Why more? Have you ever felt like that? You, you trusted. You went through a hard time, and, 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 and you trusted, and it seemed to be good, and then there was another trial tossed on you, and you're like, God, what's up? What, I, did, I learned from the last one. Why are, you, why are you trying and testing me again? Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. Deliver me, he says in verse 1. He's still in a bad situation. He's being oppressed. An ungodly crowd surrounds him. He's crying out, why have you rejected me? Why am I so sad? Why am I so oppressed? Why isn't anything getting better? And now he begins to freak out a bit here because, you know, he's been good and he's been faithful and he's done the right things and nothing's getting better. And now he's saying, send out your light and truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and your dwelling. Do something, God. And then I'll praise you. I'll write praise songs, he says in verse 4. Oh God, my God. These all sound like good things that are in the midst of these verses, but, but the refrain, the chorus, leads us to believe that, that, that what's being said is, is not quite honest, that he's bargaining with God, that he's, he's trying to make deals. Lead me, guide me, then I'll worship you. Then I'll call you what you're supposed to be, the God of my exceeding joy, in verse 4. In the midst of that struggle and trial, let me, just, let me just say this. When you're trusting in God in the midst of your circumstances and you're not depending on your own abilities or your, your money or your personal attractiveness um, or, or your verbal abilities or your social connections, when, you, when, you've, when you're truly laying all that aside and trusting in God, you're going to experience these struggles. Martin Luther points out in some of his writings uh, that the absence of trials and temptations is an indication of somebody who is not moving forward in the Christian life. They've given in to so many things and lowered their standards. And when there are no struggles, that's not just evidence of God's positive blessing in their life. It's evidence that they are not digging into their own soul and exposing their sins and forsaking idols. Those who are pursuing the Lord will experience trials. Jesus promised that. And so a complete and absolute lack of struggle ought to alarm us. We ought not fear acknowledging the sin within us. The Bible says that we all sin in different ways. The Bible says, I believe it is in uh, the book of 1 John, that if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. You know, we don't, we don't want to walk around all the time saying, oh, I do this, 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 and this, and listing out long, exhaustive lists of sins. Nor do we want to deny that there are sins within us, do we? Well, we don't want to do that because the Bible says, if, if we say we have no sin, the truth is, is, is within us. We, so we don't want to broadcast what we do wrong to everyone and, and just be like, it's okay, we're all a mess. Um, the, the Bible says, though, if we 
walk in the light as he is in the light. The blood of Jesus can, uh, cleanses us from all sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we, we feel like as believers that we ought to organize our lives and get everything nice and neat and to not sin. But the truth is that sin is alive within us. And what we need to be doing is exposing it, bringing it to God and repenting of it all the time. Over and over and over and over. God's not displeased with that. We ought to bring our sin to him and say, I, I did this again. I failed in this way. I've discovered something new. God, our Father, is joyful when we come to him in repentance. He's not like, again? You want me to forgive you again? God the Father, when we come before him, we need, to, we need to believe and to see him as Jesus describes him, not like we would conceive of him in our mind. God the Father, I believe when we come to him in repentance and we say, Lord, I messed up again. Would you help me? Would you teach me? Would you transform my character? I think he's like, yes. Not like, ugh, you rotten thing. And so just be honest about what's going on in your soul. Do you feel like God's holding out on you? He's not. It's okay to confess that. Do you, do you make bargains with him like, God, if you help me pass this test, if you save me from this distress, then I will just repent of that. Do you, do you need to confess that maybe for years you've kind of coasted using sermons as your primary means of spiritual growth and you don't really have a knowledge of the word and you, you've, you've failed to, to push into the scriptures and to dig out for yourself the knowledge that you have everything that you need in Christ, it's okay, just repent of it. Make a plan and move forward. Does the hope present in his word sustain you? If not, Confess it before the Lord. Are you looking to your circumstances to save you? Or the economy to recover? Or your bank account? Or your business plan? Or your personal attractiveness to, to get you through tough times? Just repent of that. It's okay. But it's only okay if we repent. Notice what he does, how he sums up in verse 5. First, he probes why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? He asks the question, what spiritual defect or illness or struggle or doubt or fear or whatever within me is causing me to struggle or to doubt or to fear or to fail? He, he takes the spade to his soul and he turns over the junk that's going on in his mind. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And yet we need to go back to it over and over again and say, what's going on there that I'm living this way? And then he actively turns his mind to the truths of Scripture. He commands himself, hope in God. It is good. You may be one of these folks who it's like your Bible is all neat. You've got that cover on it. You know, um, people... People put bulletins in their Bible all over the place and, and their Bible's like this. But you like have a special place in your Bible cover for bulletins so that your Bible's like that when it's closed. Right? It's all neat. And you don't write in it. 
You don't use highlighters. They bleed the next page. You know, it's bad. Sometimes I wrote with that black marker and it went through and now I can't read the word rejoiced on this page. That bothers me. It's okay. You can get another one. You can mark this thing up. I love, I love, I love to, to read through the New Testament and just to find all these instances where, where God promises something or, or find all the, the compassionate acts of God or, or to find all of his promises toward me or to, to celebrate each and everything that Christ has done in his death, burial, and resurrection for me because that gives me an arsenal of things to call to my mind when I am in the midst of struggle or trial actively build up this database of scriptures so that when temptation or struggle or trial come, you can remember the precious promises of your Father and your Savior and the Holy Spirit to you. Also notice the rebuke in verse 5 of 43. This is over and over again in the chorus. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? The command is always hope in God. The command is, is never hold on to that. Because the Bible speaks of God's goodness in this way. That it is a holy and perfect goodness. That he's good without any flaw. There's no shifting or shadow. There's no changing to his goodness. And that means that while it's okay to acknowledge that it's there and to repent of it, in truth, any lament or grumbling or complaining against God is always completely and utterly wrong. It's always wrong. And it always ought to be repented of. It is okay. Now listen, hear me close. It's okay to say, I'm angry at God. But it's not okay to be like, I'm angry with God. It's okay to say, I'm angry with God and I need to repent of that. And I am repenting of that. And to get it off of us. Because there's never any reason for us to be angry with God. We're sinners and therefore we get angry with God. But when we get angry with God, what we realize is that something within us is wrong and that we are not clearly, appropriately, and adequately seeing him. We're getting in the way, and we need to repent of that because he is good, truly, utterly, completely good. Therefore, anything that goes wrong or is bad or is evil is not from him but from some other source, and that is what we should direct our anger and frustration towards. We ought to always know that he's good in all things and at all times. And then, after commanding ourselves to hope, we actually hope, trusting in specific promises suited to your need. There was a time in my life when I was so afraid of people or what people would say to me and what people would think of me that over and over and over again, and I'm not going to quote the verse reference because I always get it wrong, and I've done it many, many, many times, probably from this pulpit and even in Sunday school, um, the, the scripture says, 
But the fear of man lays a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord is safe. And when I felt like I was going to flee or compromise the truth or be tempted to, to bend the truth or to not speak the whole truth, I would say in my mind over and over and over again, the fear of man lays a snare. If I react in fear, if I give in to fear, if I allow fear to own me and to dictate to me what I'm going to do, then I will be setting up a snare to myself. But if I trust in the Lord, I will be safe. There was a, a time when Nancy would just know, she'd know looking at me, that what I was doing was saying over and over and over again in my mind, the fear of man lays a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord is safe. Because that was just, that was my, that was my fortress. I was just living right there because that is true and it's truth from God and that's where I was building my life. Trust in specific promises suited to your need. Man, concordance in the back of your Bible suddenly becomes extremely relevant. What are you struggling with? Doubts and temptations, anger, fear, despair, Find a stack of verses, write them on index cards, on post-it notes, make them your screensaver, go on the internet on Google Images and type in your Bible verse. I guarantee you somebody's made some beautiful picture that you can set as your screensaver background. Just get it in there so that, so that when the devil comes against you and the world says you can't trust God and your flesh is like, you're right, and gives in, you can fight back and then actually fight. One of the chilling verses about giving into temptation in the book of Hebrews says, you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. Wow. And I think, I think that's every temptation I've ever fed in my, fell, fell to in my entire life. I can't remember a time where I was like, I'm not going to give into this temptation to the point where I was bleeding at the end of fighting it. There's still a whole lot of fight left in us each and every time we give in. Don't let the devil condemn you because you've failed over and over and over in the past. Trust in present grace. Hope in future grace. Think of specific connections made in commands. The, the Bible points out that we're not to, to be eager for money, but we're to trust in God because he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll always be with us. Hope in future grace. It's not enough just to read the Bible occasionally. It's, it's not enough to read Christian books or just to go to small group or just to, to hear sermons because we don't have all that stuff with us all the time. We need to know the word. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Ephesians 6 says, take up the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, not your personal sword, but the sword of the Spirit. The sword which the Spirit uses to wage war against sin and temptation within you. If the Spirit has no access to word in your mind, what will it fight with? If you call a thousand soldiers over to your house in the middle of the night, but they come without weapons, you're in serious trouble unless you've got a pile of weapons there, right? So put a thousand swords in your mind so that you can fight temptation. 
the Lord has not withheld any spiritual blessing from us. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says. But, but don't make the mistake of thinking that all those blessings being in there, given to us, doesn't mean that some of them are contained here in this word and it's our responsibility to dig them out. Does that make sense? They're here. It's our responsibility to, to unpack them and to, and to bring them into our mind and heart. If, if I said... I have no food and I have no clothes. And you guys were to pack up boxes full of food and boxes full of clothes for me and they were to arrive at my house and you brought them all into the living room and you sat them all down there and then I was like, I have no food and clothes. You're like, we, we gave them to you. I'm like, I, no, I don't see them. Where are they? Open the boxes. Take them out. That's our responsibility. I don't have a very good memory. I'm not very good at memorizing stuff. I don't believe that. Most of you probably know your checking account balance right now. Most of you probably are able to tell someone your phone or your email. Why? Because it's important to you, right? Because it's important. How important is honoring God to us? Don't let the devil use this to condemn you. That's not the point. The point is that God shows us. He puts the tools in our hands that we may say yes and move forward. Focus your heart and your mind. Look at how he ends. My salvation and my God. God is mighty to save in the present. The God who parts the Red Sea, who creates the world, who raises Christ from the dead is working in our lives. He is your God. He is our God. He is my salvation. He is our salvation, and he will triumph. He will teach us the truth of his word. He will bring scriptures to mind when we put them in our mind and heart so that we might not sin against him. He, he will demonstrate to us that he is the one who saves. But we need to draw near to him. What is the gospel? How does he end? What has God done for you in the gospel? The gospel is God himself restoring his relationship to us and being there to meet our each and every true spiritual need. The confession of Psalm 76:25 is this, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. May we, brothers and sisters, as a church family, encourage one another with these words. May we build barns and silos in our minds and fill them with the seeds of the word of the Lord that we might share with each other and encourage and be encouraged in our own spirit. May we run to the Bible to read it and to memorize it. May we store up lists of specific promises as weapons against our worst temptations or problems. May we acknowledge each and every day that our worst enemy is not our family, our spouse, our church, our government, the devil, or the world, but ourselves and our unbelief. And may we repent of a lack of devotion to God's word and commit ourselves to do it. The Bible says a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Has not God made us rich with this word? Does this word not point us 
to his faithfulness and the goodness of his son. May we rejoice that we have everything that we need and then live as if that is true. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to share this word. I pray that in a, in a culture where we look out and we need so many things, we need bottled water and iPhones and Wi-Fi everywhere and free coffee and cars with lots of cup holders and all these things, and if they're not there, we feel somehow like our life is incomplete. May we see that if we have food and clothing and the knowledge of you that our life is complete, And may we press forward in difficulty and not lose our faith. May we not give up and sit down in despair. Father, when we hear those voices in our head say, don't trust the Lord, may we smash that down in faith and trust, rejoicing in the knowledge of our salvation and your goodness. May we trust in the truth of your word. Father, your word is given to us that we might, the Bible says, destroy strongholds and fortresses and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. May we come against these true enemies which manifest themselves in our flesh each and every day and may we utterly devastate them with promises from your word. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you and has not trusted in you that they would die to themselves that they would put their faith and trust in the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would believe in the gospel. May each and every one of us, Father, trust in your spirit and acknowledge the reality that we fail, each and every one of us, in word and thought and deed, continually and constantly, but that you are faithful and good and meet us at the point of our need and you can be trusted and hoped in. And that we can say that we are saved by your life and know that we are righteous and in good fellowship with you. May we cast aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you for the knowledge that we can always hope in you our salvation, and our God. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.